Welcome to this special edition podcast series, Expansion to Culture, The Scandi Way, brought to you by Seek and powered by Hospitality Mavericks. Facing the toughest challenges in history, some hospitality operators are not only surviving, but emerging stronger by mastering the art of people and culture. Meet the Scandinavian Maverick leaders and organization that master this art. We take a peek inside their organizational playbooks, and we learn how they build cultures as they scale their businesses, how they lead their teams, and how they use this to gain a competitive edge that lasts. In this episode, we have an exclusive interview with a trailblazer in hospitality. Please meet Simon Wander, co-founder and CEO of Bastard Burger, a name that had become synonymous with not only mouth-watering burgers, but also groundbreaking approaches to people-centric management and culture building. Today, they have more than 70 restaurants in Sweden, Norway, Finland, and one in New York, and more to come. Simon takes us behind the scenes and reveals how Bastard Burgers have the ability to master people and culture, and how it goes beyond just creating a great workplace. It's a hardcore business strategy. We discuss specific examples of the innovative practices employed to create this kind of workplace where employees not only work, but they love to work. Simon shares his perspective on the broader impact the industry can expect if they all start to adapt a more people-centered approach to management and culture building. And in the era of technology, we discuss the role technology plays in building a more people-centric business. Now, it's time for Simon. I'm extremely excited today, and you often hear me say that, but it's not every day when I do a podcast, I'm actually going back to the my heritage, back to Scandinavia, and actually talking with specific Scandinavian operators. And this is what it's all about, actually tapping into Scandinavian countries in this series. And for this, we have one of the most progressive and leading uh, burger chains in uh, Scandinavia, Bastard Burgers, here today. And we have the one of the founders, Simon, on board, and he will share with us, and we're going to discover really how can you actually build the business from the bottom up, where they're focusing on putting people first or using them as your competitive edge from the day you start. Welcome to the show, Simon. I'm extremely excited to, to have this conversation with you today. Thank you so much, and I am extremely excited to be here today. Simon, could you give people a bit of a, because I always think it's good to know of context, so where things are coming from. Tell a bit about your own personal journey as an entrepreneur, but also how it came to you found out that you needed to make a burger chain, because there's, there's a great little story there, because like many others, it didn't start out <laughs> with wanting to take over the world. It started out with a little idea. Uh, that's correct. Personally, I, I started my career in the restaurant industry as a dishwasher, as a bartender, worked as a bar manager, did some consultant work in the restaurant industry, ran some clubs. So did the full journey from, from washing dishes to, to managing bars and, and restaurants. I come from an entrepreneur family. I have been running businesses in different areas for the last almost 20 years, at least 16 years, 17 years, something like that. In, in the, I've been in, in home cleaning or, or home service business for a long time. 
I've been having a marketing firm or a marketing studio, work with some clothes, clothing brands, etc. So did a lot of things and started opening restaurants in Luleå back in 2015, I think, before Bastard Burgers 14 and ran two more classic casual dining type restaurants here in Luleå when the discussions about Bastard Burgers first started. Like you say, it was no big idea or nothing. It was a small side project between me and a couple of friends. Yeah. And, and what was it that led to that side project? Because it's, it's really interesting, you know, you know, we can almost make an analogy over to Shake Shack that wasn't meant to become a chain yeah. at all. It was meant to be a hot dog stand in Union Square and Shake Shack founded by Danny Meyer, famous hospitality leader from New York. But yeah. talk a bit about this idea that came a bit like a side hustle and how it then evolved into become, you know, where you are today and what, how does it look today? It started, I said, mostly for ego reasons. We, we really missed a good burger place in Lulio. We didn't have here the, you had sort of the mash burger boom or the smash burger places started to pop up in Stockholm in, in Gothenburg, but that's, it's a far away from here. And there was nothing that you had the, the classic fast food chains up here, but nothing else. So I, I would say we, we felt ourselves that we, we really want this in Luleå. And I think that that started the discussions about doing something ourselves in Luleå. And also I love working with creating concepts. I love branding. I love all these types of things and everything regarding street food, burgers are also close to my personal interests. I love the culture around street food and, and everything. So when we started um, building mood boards, bouncing ideas, starting to, to, to see this concept come to life, it also felt so extremely close to what we, what we, what we love and what, what, what we stand for. So that's, that's me and Christopher, who are the co-founder. We started to shape this concept and idea of, of Bastard Burgers, and we decided that we need to make this a reality and make this happen. And we contacted a property owner here in Luleå for a small, small space, classic hole in the wall, 16, 17 seats, very far too small on a kitchen. And just like I said, a small side project because I had two bigger restaurants that I was managing and running together with some friends. And we also took everything that is a problem in, in I say it's a problem in running a restaurant. Everything that's table bookings, phone mm. ordering, all these types of things that's, that's a problem. Ice machines, whatever it is, we just removed it from Bastard Burgers. You have to come here, you have to stand in line, you order at, at, the, at the bar, you pick up your food self, you take care of the, the leftovers yourself. All these things that are good in fast food, we took that, but with the, with the premium product there. And we started, we, we opened up, we started this. We had a small, careful plan on, on how, how, how this is going to go. We thought that we would cater to some burger hipsters in Luleå. And it, 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 we thought there is a small market for this here. But when we opened it, it got crazy. It, we had 
lines across the block. We had, we sold out of meat every day for the first weeks. And then the newspapers starting to write about they're selling out of meat. So people from the cities nearby started coming. Well, we have to try this. So it really built onto the hype. So pretty quickly, it really became a big deal up here in, in Luleå and even reached down to Stockholm, the reputation of, of Bastard Burgers. I mean, that was the start of it. It was an incredible first two months there when we opened it. It was lines. It was massive hype. And, and we felt that we really got something here. And, and Simon, what is it that is unique? Because you said there was not the type of product available in the town. Yeah. But also, how is it that you're positioning yourself on the product? Because if you go and you know look at your website, it's very much on the quality and ingredients of the produce. That's definitely my. But, but can you talk a bit about like what was the vision for that from a from a food philosophy point of view, and why was it that you, you know, were so popular from day one? Then, because I guess product is very important in the beginning, it always is. But because first time people try something, yeah, it, it's. Um, I mean, that's we had we did actually our, our first um, business plan that we had that we brought to to the to the property owner, we brought to to the bank and and everything, and we had three keys. Or bastard burgers. The first one is we make the best burger in town. It was the first one because, like you say, if the burger isn't good, people are not going to come. People are not going to remember it. People are not going to come back. So, I mean, that that's the most still is our number one priority to make the best. Without that, we don't we don't have anything. So that was extremely important. And the position, I mean, we, like you said in the beginning, Shake Shack. We we looked a lot. We looked at Shake Shack. We, we looked at their success factors. We loved the position they had with everything that's good about fast food, but also everything that was good about premium. So you have a premium burger, you have uh, great uh, products, you have great ingredients, you have, you have a lot of flavors and taste and all of that, but you have it in a fast food environment. You can have it for lunch, you can have it for dinner, you can have it with friends on weekends, you can have it with your family on Sundays. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a huge segment, but to have a, a premium product here. So somewhere in between the, the fast food and the casual dining segment was the, was the plan for us. And, and like I say, to really put the product first and that, I think that what's built the hype. One part was there was nothing like it in the North of Sweden. I mean, there was nothing like it North of Stockholm. So it was new to a lot of people up here. Smash burgers wasn't really a big thing in Sweden, just outside of the big cities. So we we introduced something new here when we started. Um, and what's yeah. happened since then? Because you had quite an incredible journey when you look at you started when you, you know it's not even a decade, is it, that you've been mm. been operating? But it's like lots have happened. And you know, talk a bit about where you are now. What kind of you know, you know, results, the learnings you've had as a, as a business, you know, expanding outside the city you started it's, in. It's seven years now. It feels like a decade or, or two, but yeah, it's, it's seven years. And I mean, the journey started pretty quickly after we opened the first one and we realized that we need to try this some, somewhere else. Is this only, is this just because we are in Luleå? There is no competition. It's also our home market 
we know Julio, yeah. we can we can get the word out here and, and everything. We need to try this somewhere else where we have competition. Uh, we, we really try the try to get a proof of concept. And I actually were living outside of Uppsala back then, so it made sense to open there. And we opened our second restaurant in Uppsala, I think around four or five, four months after we opened the first one. Hmm. And we got the same response, the same effect there. We got the great reviews. People came, we had the long lines. And we also started to see that this type of business is much easier. It's a much better business model than our casual dining restaurants. It's, it's less heavy on staffing. It's much easier on operation. I mean, we could, we could serve 700 guests a day in Luleå on 16 seats. In our big 120 seat a la carte restaurant, we could serve maybe 200 guests a day. Mm. So it, was, it was a huge difference there. And we could do it seven days a week, lunch and dinner. We could have operations running. Yeah. So, so, so we really thought that this is something we need to keep doing. Um, so Uppsala was the first step and the first real test. And then after that, it went pretty quickly. We, we kept, we kept expanding. Also a lot of, of property owners, landlords from across Sweden contacted us, wanted us. I spent the first years just going city to city, look at locations, going to cities. We want to open here, just walking the streets, finding, calling, and just working on, on, on expanding Master Burgers. Somewhere around five, six open restaurants, it started to become a bit different. It started started to like the first speed bump or the first step that, okay, something needs to change now. I learned a lot from when we had the home cleaning company. We expanded, we, we, we bought some smaller companies. We expanded to five, six cities, but you got stuck. In, in maintenance, you get stuck in daily business, customer errands, staff, HR issues, and all of these things that I love in business development, expanding, uh, marketing, all these things, there weren't any time for that. And I started to feel the same here with Bastard around five, six restaurants that, okay, if we don't build to scale now, it's going to be the same. And we're just going to get stuck in, in, in maintenance of this. We can't keep developing. We need, so we need some help here. So I think that was a big step for us. We brought in an, an extremely experienced board member who was got as, as a chairman uh, for our board with background in bigger chains, brought, bringing, he was the CEO for Oleris. He's been on the board for Pinchos, two international chains that were extremely well managed and we were really impressed with him and he got on board and really helped us to take the next step as, as a organization and as a company and as a concept, I would say. So the two questions that came out of that, but the first yeah. one is like, okay, so, so why actually, you know, the name, because we didn't touch on that, you know, why the name Bastard Burger? That was my first question I would like to hear. Yeah. I think the, the, there's always a reason founders call something they do, but why did you call it Bastard Burgers? We don't really have a good reason. <laughs> we, we, have, we have made up reasons afterwards, but the truth is when we start, I love to play with branding and everything. And I, when we started, I said, I want something that starts with a B and takes a, a, about the same uh, space as <laughs> burgers. 
So we have the options to work as it as a as a round logo, as a long logo, as a set. And I don't want a name because everything was called a name burgers. I don't want to name anyone, but it was we we want yeah. something that people remember that stands out. And the first word that just came, bastard burgers, and we looked. Yeah, it's perfect. And we started playing with logos and stickers and rebranding others famous logos into bastard burgers and really playing around with it. But our plan was to change it because it, it came up from in 10 seconds and okay, we start here and then we can just change it. But after we worked with it for a couple of weeks, we started calling it just bastard and let's go, let's go down to the bastard restaurant or let's go down to the location and let's have a bastard meeting and everything. So we, we started to realize that this is a brand bastard is, um, because when we already then started to shorten it down, we understood that this, this is something that sticks. So we decided to, to keep it and looked up, is it available? Can we do it? Did all the registrations and everything. But, but when, when the name came to life, it was just a, a placeholder that, that, that stuck mm. on us, which we're happy for today. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, sometimes also the universe gives you what, what you need in, in that yeah. moment where you've done the pre-work. Say we are the bastard between fast food and casual dieting, or there are some uh, yeah. uh, afterhand. Yeah, but the truth is, it just it just came to us there. So, 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 so where are you now? How many how many sites, cities, and what is the vision mission of Bastard Burgers? Today we have seventy six restaurants, most of them in Sweden, uh, but we have two in Finland one in central Helsinki and one at the airport. We have two in Norway, in Oslo. And we have one in New York together with Bronx Brewery over in New York. Mm. Yeah. And the rest here in Sweden from Boden in the north to, to Malmö and in the south. And what is the, what is the mission? What is the vision? Well, well, what is what is it all about? What is what change are you trying to seek in the world with your concept? Because it seems like you have quite good momentum going for you. We always said, not always, not from the beginning, but but when we started, I mean, our vision changed many times because in the, if you read the first business plan, we had a a five year plan that in five years we will have three restaurants in the north of Sweden and maybe a food truck. So that was our, our vision when we started. And, and I mean, after, after those years, we had like 35, 40 restaurants. So we had to update that as, as we went on. But I mean, today, our stated vision is happy guests across the globe. And I'm, I would say that, that Bastard Burgers will be the Shake Shack of Europe, I think, is, is something that we truly believe in. Interesting. And that really leads us into, let me see, the, the theme of today, I think, then, you know, how do you then, because you, when we talked before this interview, you talked about this, your ability really to master culture and people is critical to do this journey and actually deliver that promise you just said, the mission of a Bastard Burger. Can you talk a bit about, like, how that actually came by that you actually from, you know, almost day one had a very clear yeah. idea about how you want to master people and culture, which is often one of the most tricky thing in any business, especially in hospitality where there's so many moving parts and thin razor thin uh, margins sometimes to, to actually do really well. 
like you said, we also, what's, what's the mission of Bastard Burgers? And we actually have like a mission statement that we made over the years with some firm. But what we had when we started Bastard in this first plan, like I said, we had three keys. One key was to serve the best burgers in town. We had two more keys. And actually, these are the keys that we keep coming back to, that we keep communicating, that we keep when we do plans, when we do big decisions, we always fall back on these three things, the burger, but then it's, it's going to be a great place to work and people are going to be proud to wear the Bastard Burgers brand. These were the three things. So like you said, from, from day one, when we started, we said that we are going to be a great place to work. And that has been something, like I said, I had 11 years in the restaurant industry, sometimes some of these years were a great place to work. I, I, I was at great places to work at, but some of these years I was not because it's a industry full of insecurity, full of scheduling from day to day, full of hierarchy, harassment, all of these things. And only in the two like casual dining restaurants I had, we had these groups, we had these human issues, human conflicts in just two small places. So when we started Bastard, we said, we're not going to have that here. We're going to work actively from day one to make people happy, to really take our responsibility as, as, as leaders of this company. And also that they are going to be proud that they work here. We're going to do things to make people proud here. And these things are, are our mission or, or, or what we keep coming back to the, the values of Bastard Burgers. And that has been extremely helpful for us when we, I mean, we're almost thousand, um, members of this team now from being five mm. to a thousand. And like I say, it's extremely challenging to take this and, and you make mistakes and you learn, but to always keep coming back to these core values, I think has been, and core values that we created from day one, not that we have done workshops with consultants over the year and, oh, we need, you need values now, or you need a brand house, or you need this. These are the things that we, when we founded Bastard Burgers, believed in and stood for. And it, it's been our guiding star uh, through these years. It's really interesting, you know, say, you know, making a great place to work and, and how you do it. We'll come back to that. But yeah. you said that thing, you wanted people to be proud to wear the brand. So right now yeah. you're sitting with your jumper yeah. and your hat <laughs> yeah. on. And, it's, it's, and then the founder, I'm sitting here with my hospitality maverick t-shirt you know we're very proud of our business we almost yeah. want to get tattooed with our business name probably i have probably yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so 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 how does that live so some people will be skeptical say so your employees as it is today or what you know, i guess what i've seen you know i've been doing a bit on social media and see a lot of people being quite excited about being part of the business and actually displaying themselves with the merchandise on and it becomes part of their, you know, it's almost like this Harley Davidson kind of thing where you get people to become part of your brand. They tattoo real Harley Davidson fan have a Harley Davidson, Davidson tattoo for the audience. Um, and you know, you have other brands where you just have these raving fans and it's pretty, we almost created an internal kind of movement. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, but I think, I think making people proud is a key to, to wanting to show it and wanting to carry the brand and how to make people proud is something that's changed from year to year. I would say, I mean, 
as you grow bigger, it, it's, it's not the same to make six people proud as it is to try to make a thousand people proud of Bastard mm. Burgers. Yeah. So that's been a journey. I mean, when we started, it was, you just had to do cool stuff. We had DJs and we had artists and we did skating competitions and we did skateboards and it worked for our one restaurant, two restaurants, three restaurants. But now we are, we are a commercial brand with a thousand people that we need to be engaged in, in our vision, what we stand for, but also needs to feel that the things we are doing are, are good things. And so I, I said that what, what built the pride back then when it was skateboard and collaborations, I would say today, a lot of things that, that build the pride is they build it themselves on our, I would say internal, because we have an, an, a unique internal, I would say community where mm. we, where we, we build each other up. We, we push each other, we share stuff together. We are close to each other, even though we're spread out in, in four different countries. So you build pride there. But I think a lot also is like the, the things we do for sustainability work, where we do things that, that they feel proud of. We, do a, we, we are completely focused in doing, doing sustainability work, the social part against children and, and, and young people. And that has been something. It actually started as an employee idea in our internal idea box to start working with one of the biggest, uh, Sweden's biggest child's rights organization. So that was the first step uh, a couple of years ago. And since then we have moved all our efforts. We're stopped sponsoring elite sports clubs. We stopped, stopped sponsoring male sports. We're, we're just putting everything on kids and youth and, and doing these types of things. And that has been building a lot of internal, people are proud about this. We see that in the reactions, we see that when we talk to people, we see that in our internal temperature meetings that this has built something. And, and it's completely different from, from, from what worked when we were just one restaurant or two restaurants. Yeah, and I guess also the impact you can do now with the size you have yeah. in a situation like that is quite significant. Yeah. Can, can you talk a bit about that? How does that impact work look like? What is that you're you donating money or you're really engaged in execution of projects together with the organizations you're involved in or how does that it's, look? It's been, it's been new things every year. I would say it's, it's been a work in progress. A lot of, we have the health in sports competitions, tournaments. We have had uh, built a kitchen for a preschool in Uganda together with an organization. We did stuff with a Swedish organization, SOS Barn uh, in Ukraine. Um, so a lot of these, uh, but. This year, actually, we're doing, we're starting a foundation where it's called Månadspengen in Sweden, like monthly allowance, maybe in, in, in English, yeah. but we're doing yeah. one big action every month towards children and youth. And it can be a um, sports organization. It can be an individual role model in a sport that, that needs to do an international competition, but they can't afford it. It can be, it can be something with, with. Like you say, like Ukraine with, with, with an organization there, it can be, we're, we're taking, we're getting a lot of applications. We have uh, this board that chooses one action for each month that we're going to do. We're launching a website in, in a couple of weeks now where we will present all these actions. 
So I think this year is going to be a really next level for our work. And we also uh, extended our work with, with BRIS, the, the big children's rights organization here in Sweden, for, for I think three more years now. So we're going to continue to work with them as we have, but we're now adding another layer where we can do monthly efforts as well on a more local local scale. Yeah, and I guess I guess that the employees can then follow that work quite closely internally with your community communication. Yeah. Because I guess like building community or the family, as it's called in the early days, to now where you say it is actually a commercial business. There's people scattered all over the world in principle, Scandinavia and the US. Can, can you talk a bit about how you actually facilitate that? How do you actually keep that community alive? Because I guess you cannot even know how much you want to, as the two as founders, be out there and shake everybody's hands every week. Now I'd say one 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 huge factor is the the, the internal community that we built that's even though, I mean, because we also have fairly small restaurants. We have restaurants where we have five, six people working and to make them feel part of a, of a, of a big team, of a big company, we are completely dependent on, on having these digital platforms, Seek in this case, where they can communicate, where we can do competitions, photo competitions, we can do challenges. All of these things are coming to live there and they communicate with each other on this interweb. And I think that is one of the key factors. And we had outside people coming in, consultants and people from other companies coming in and seeing this and say, we've never seen anything like this. The way you use this is completely unique. And we're actually trying, because it's also a information channel for us. It's also updates on stocked products. It's also updates on uh, whatever. And, but we're actually trying to separate these things to really have this community thing alive on one part of our intraweb and then have these information flow somewhere else. So it's not disturbing the, the vibe and the positivity and the dynamic uh, dialogues and everything we have here. So we really want to nourish us even more. And it also brings us close because we, we are, we have a big responsibility here when we are in the main office here in Luleå or in our office in Stockholm. We need to be active here. We need to answer. We need to ask. We need to engage in everything that's happening here. So, so we also have a big responsibility to make them also feel that we are close to them. We see when they post a Friday dance from uh, Skövde, we see it here and we like it and we laugh at it as well. And we, 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 we comment there and, and everything. So I think that's, that's one huge factor. Then we have, we have get-togethers every other year where we have like, I think five, 600 people coming together and we have big competitions and awards and artists and everything. So that's, that's also like one of the highlights every other year where yeah. we can manage to do these things. So that's, that's, that's important. And also we have a lot of culture bearers out there that we actively work with to have them out. Like you say, we can't be everywhere, but we want the culture that that we stand for and that we had a vision for when we started this, we need to get that out there in, in the restaurants and in Norway and in Finland. So we have a lot of great culture bearers within the company who are out there and helps us spread this. Uh, and we try to be out as much as possible. We have to be out working at the restaurant every year. We have to 
do all these things. We need to visit different restaurants and all. This. So we're doing as much as we can out there. But like you say, it's, it's we can't be there all the time. So we're dependent to have a lot of people who stands for the culture and spreads the culture out there. I think we succeeded with that. As you have you been scaling the business, you said also the the way you do things changing. Do do you have like a you know like a really clear like you often have in many businesses? I see there's a very clear strategy for marketing. There's also one for finance. There's probably also one for for growth of property. Your property strategy yeah. in place, but often you know well, my my view is that the people strategy is afterthought. I think. Do you have like a clearly defined people strategy? That you are you're working on as you are you're growing the business that you know we need now to change our ways or our approach you know the the values and the principles are the same but how we deliver it is very different yeah i would say so maybe not in a desktop document type of way defined as a people strategy, but we have keys that we are working with in our example a people strategy uh one mm. thing is it, it's and then again i'm repeating here but it's, it's again, falling back to these core values. Great place to work. We have defined what we mean by that. You're going to feel safe when you come to work. We have union agreements. We have clear policies against harassment, against bullying. We set out to be an, an, an equal workplace. Uh, we're measuring it. We are transparent about it on our website when it launches, how, how gender gap our salary gap between genders are looking. We said, oh, we're going to be an equal company. We have done actually, because when we started, we were 99% males uh, when we got applicants, when we opened new restaurants. And we said, we can't build a company on this. We can't build a company on, on dudes and burgers and bears uh, and tattoos. We need to be an equal company. So we're doing actions. We have, we're topping up maternity leave. We're, we're topping up, we're offering pre-menstrual, all of these things that we have done over the years. We have won awards with our equality work. And, and these are things that I would say come into the great place to work part. We have whistleblower functions. We have safety first programs. We have all of these things in place, like a, like a foundation. These things just need to work. It's, it's, it's a license to run the business. This is one, one of the, of the building stones for that. One part is developing talent and, and skills with, with keep our onboarding process keeps developing and getting better and better. We are launching a completely new training program this year or a sort of an academy offering career opportunities. We have a huge number of success stories within the company from people who started in a restaurant as a service and has done opening restaurants in other countries, learned new things, moved into new areas. I think one of the being a expansive company in, in, in multiple markets gives great opportunities to, to grow, to try new things, to take on new challenges and, and new responsibilities there. So that's, that's one thing. Also, when we, when we ask uh, our coworkers what, what they want the most, it's this new challenges, new knowledge, being able to, to get to new levels, to, to move to other cities. And I mean, you can come from a small city in the north of Sweden and you want to move to Stockholm. We have um, a huge amount of possibilities there. Uh, so I think that has been one big part 
of, of, of it. And then you have the, like we talked about the culture, which is, I would say harder to define, but an extremely important thing. And there are, are the internal community and, and the culture bearers has been a huge key. It was a very interesting way you talked about, you know, you almost have to have some foundation in place to, to operate a business, yeah. especially at scale. So that's like your foundational people functions. It's your, you know, your, your recruitment, yeah. your onboarding, your HR policies, it's your performance management, it's your, your talent. And that just have to keep on getting improved, as you say, as you grow the business. So you're almost like going up and down this chain of HR practices, as I call them, to improve yeah. your culture and underpin the values you have and actually just growing the culture together with the with the business. Um, and I think that was really, really interesting learning that came out. I don't know if that's what you were thinking, but I was like, what I actually got out of listening to you is like that. There's some foundation yeah. you need to put in place and there's almost, you know, if you don't have those in place, you, you in principle, don't have the no. premise or the right to run a successful business. No, no, we have, yeah, you have these, we call it like the driver's license just to open a restaurant, to open the doors and receive guests. You need yeah. to have, you need to have your coworkers feeling safe. They need to have the correct type of knowledge. You need to have food safety in place. You need to have a clean restaurant. You need to have all these things just I mean, like you say, to, to, to be able to run the business. So, so that's, that's basic foundation. And then we want to put on top of that, all these things with the culture and with the, the career possibilities and keep developing people. What is it like, because one of the things you talked about also earlier and also in our pre-conversation is that you talk about, you know, you know, people is, has been critical being good at this and actually taking this serious and take the responsibility as, as, as founders of this business has been critical for your business success, your commercial success. Can you talk a bit about where there's some clear links and it doesn't need to be a data lesson, but more like you say, like this, at that point, we knew what we put the seeds we put down maybe years ago or a year ago would really, you know, that turned out much better than we could ever have expected because you couldn't, you couldn't plan your way out of that. That's just culture that does that. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I mean, like you say, we, we have one part of it is, is a lot of happened during COVID with the restaurant industry, which made it also extremely tough to keep good people, to recruit new mm. good people. And you see that on restaurants, I guess, all across. But, but for us in Sweden, it's been extremely clear to us that if you have this edge that yet you don't have staff turnover or you don't have these problems recruiting people because you have a good reputation, you have a good culture, we make a great first impression when you meet us and we can present the brand and what we stand mm. for and what's included when you start to work here. We never really had those problems. We get to keep the good people here. We get, we get new good people coming in here. And, and that's something that, that wasn't the plan when we started it. Oh, this is going to help us when COVID hits in a couple of years and it's going to be hard to find good people. But that's something that, that you see now, it's, it's, it's going to be crucial. You could, you could visit restaurants that used to be great all across Sweden and you see they're having problems. They have people that's not trained properly. They just started and they have a turn of, they, 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 they don't have the, the skills or the knowledge that you used to because people left people and, and it's, it's the, 
employees market right now, and especially in, I, mean, I would look here in Lulio. I mean, every restaurant here is it's screaming for people. They're trying to take employees from each other. It, it's hard to find this, the, the right talent because you need the right talent to have a great business. And that's, that's, has been a, a huge upside in this. And what would you like if you had to put some like more, like some, you think how, how much better positioned are you? You think like from a, you know, is it, is it under recruitment or is it just, you know, retain, retain people that has been easier for you? I guess lots of it is retaining people as well. Retaining it because it's easier. It's, you have index and you can bench. So we can see that we have really low staff, staff turnover against the industry. That's, that's, yeah. we can prove that. But we also see that we get a lot of good when we try, when we're opening new restaurants, when we are recruiting, we have a good flow of people. But I mean, if, if we're looking at statistics, we can see that we have really low turnover. We have low sick leave. And that's, I mean, that's of course is, is good. Let's say that the majority of the, the hospitality industry around the world, what's approaching in it and in the way you've been talking about, where you talk about putting people first, what doesn't mean it's just not something fluffy, it's actually integrated into your business model. What do you think that would happen with the industry? I think it's going to be a, a crucial thing just to survive. Uh, I think you have mm. to, you have to adapt to this. I think the, uh, the old ways are, are cleaning themselves out. I mean, the way it was when I t just like 10 years ago or, or 15 years ago, it's not going to work anymore. And, and you can see that now you see news article about Michelin restaurants where you have bullying and stuff like that. It's, it's not working anymore. And also you have a generation now that are, they want to work at a company that stands for good things that that sees you where you can grow, where you can yeah, have a career. It's, it's, it's not, it, you're not going to survive if you don't adapt to this. And you see, I, I think you see great change all over. I mean, you, you, I know a lot of restaurateurs up here in Lulu. I know across Sweden, and I think it's getting more and more the same. Like I said about a, a foundation that you need to have. It's in, you mm. need to change in these things. You need, you need to, to put the people first. You need to have this in your company or otherwise I don't think you're going to be very long lived. So I think it's, it's change that's, that's coming and you have to adapt to it. And we're just happy that we uh, have started from it. Uh, but I think it's, it's crucial for everyone. How are you planning to keep the uh, momentum of all the, you know, the great foundation you already have built, how are you going to, I guess, strengthen that foundation as you, of course, are going to have more restaurants, thereby more people, more complexity, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure it's going to be new challenges and we're going to uh, do mistakes during the way, but I think having these, these core values that we really believe in and that we keep, no matter where we open, what we do, what changes we need to make in business model and digitalization, whatever it is, always have these three things uh, in focus, always bring them up to the table when discussions come. I mean, when we start, when we open in, let's say the first one we opened in Finland, the first issue was not where's the right location or where are we going to buy the meat from? 
It was how are we going to bring the culture to Finland when we open in Finland? Mm. And, and I think as long as we have that focus, we're going to be fine. And it's going to be different. I mean, it, it's different to run a business in Finland and it's different to run a business in Norway. But we need to find ways to carry the culture and carry the, the things Bastard Burger stands for to the market and bring, bring some of our Bastard Burgers there, but also make it be a bit of Finnish pride and Norway and Norwegian pride uh, in the companies. It's, it's going to be different for every market. It's going to be, we're going to need to learn new stuff along the way. I think we have a good track record and I think we can learn a lot from what's been working for us so far and just keep doing that, I think. That's very interesting because a lot of often you just change things for the sake of change instead of actually really understand what really works. You can come yeah. down to scaling a restaurant. Many people focusing on opening 10, not getting the first one to work exceptional well. And then yeah. that's what you scale to two. And then you make two great restaurants. Same comes with people. Yeah. I totally agree. It was really interesting how you said you came back again uh, to that, the three core values uh, principles, whatever people call them in their business, they are actually the one you base your success on. If they can't be lived at their fullest, there's something wrong with the systems or the foundation that's underpinning that. Um, what what role does, you know, let's talk about technology in our industry mm. and how big is this technology role? And, you know, you know, we can go into the whole AI thing as well, but how how what role does technology, in, uh, from a founder's perspective, play in building a great culture? I, I would say for us and the way our bis, our Bastard Burgers looks, it's crucial. I mean, one one big example is what we talked about. How can we make almost 80 restaurants in four countries feel like a company? You can't do that without without digital support. You can't do that without the correct platforms. That's where it happens. That's where someone from New York can talk to someone from Lulio and Malmö and talk about a burger or a, or a movie or whatever. The, the, the coffee room chat that you only have with your, the people on your restaurant, you can have it now with, with 900 people with Ambassador Burgers here. So I think without that, that would be extremely hard because we can't visit every restaurant all the time. We can't have get-togethers with all our employees all the time. This is the place where the culture spreads. So I think just to have a communication platform, to have a place where we can evaluate and, and we can get a view on how, because we're doing weekly tem temperature meetings, measurements on every employee every week, and it's actually extremely accurate. So we can see right away, okay, we're having some, there are two heavy workloads here in, in Falun. And, and okay, we seem to have a leadership issue here in, in Oslo or whatever it can be, we, we get these indications uh, on a weekly basis and we can be active, we can take actions, but also they can send a signal to us straight away through these platforms. If they have a problem with, with local management or local leadership or whatever, there's always a way to, to, to raise a, a warning flag. There's always a way for us to see these things across all our four countries. And that also would be impossible without digitalization and, and the correct platforms. And then you also have what's happening in the restaurants where you mm -hmm. have digital ordering, where you have uh, self-service kiosks, which we see 
we rolled, we, we implemented them on all our Swedish restaurants just by the end of, of last year. So it's, 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 it's new, but it's been a rollout process. And what we could see was when the restaurants started to getting these self-service kiosks, we saw employee satisfaction go up because they got more free hands. They could help each other more. They could go in and help in the kitchen instead of being stuck working the line. They could actually give more service to the guests because they can go out with the food. They can talk to the guests more instead of just taking orders and ta- next, next, next. So we also see that, that just the digital channels within the restaurants or in the phone or the app is helping these things. So I think digitalization is um, extremely crucial for us. There's two things here. We can start with the thing you just ended with. So what you did was not like, I guess you didn't really turn down the labor budget in that no. situation. You just no. removed a friction point, both for the customer, I guess, and the employee, which is really interesting because often in the rollout of things like that, that's my own experience. It's about how can we actually be reduce labor. Lots of people yeah. talk about in the initial stage about that it's about improving the customer experience. And then yeah. they find out there's huge labor savings that can be done here. But in principle, yeah. you turn it into improve the overall experience, both for customer and employees. Yeah. And actually you are reducing labor cost percentage wise because you are increasing sales, but you're not ah. reducing, you're not reducing hours. And this was actually, we actually we cheated a bit there because we, we recruited a couple of experienced guys from my, another burger chain here in Sweden, who has, I would say is best in the world in digital sales is from Max Hamburgers, both their, their head of operations and their former IT manager joined us last year with huge knowledge in this area, because Max has been one of the best in the world to do this. And that's also one of the first things they said, don't look at this as a way to cut staffing or cut costs. This is a way to improve product, improve speed of speed of service, raise. I mean, for a lunch, we could increase the number of guests over lunch with 25% in some restaurants because people mm. stopped turning around in the door because normally it's, oh, it's a huge line. We're going somewhere else because there are no lines to order now because you have these kiosks and you have the bar to go to. So we could increase volume over, over peak hours. We've increased average tickets. We've shortened waiting times with, I think, 40% or something like that. Wow. And there's okay. huge upsides in this. And our focus is to bring our sales up on every restaurant over this year and the next year. We have a, a big plan to increase sales, not to reduce staffing. Because I think that's a way to shoot yourself out. You reduce staffing and you get even more longer waiting times so and they don't come back and you reduce staffing and you're in a bad circle. So we yeah. are trying to work the other way here. What about um you also mentioned the, you know, you're you're measuring the temperature on people with technology and how they feel and, and how they perceive work. How do you then take action immediately? Because I guess if you as a company measure every week, people also really expect action here now. I guess mm-hmm. that's, you know, we're used to having our phone and being the center of everything. And now I've sent my, you know, respond to it. I almost want it straight away. Yeah. You know, SAP. I think it's, it's it, the platform. I don't know if you need to name it, but the platform we're working with is, is winning temp. It's something that we 
really, really push our, our, all our employees to use and use it actively. And we also push our HR department and our, our operations management to be there, like you say, to respond, to take actions, to contact them, to follow them up. And, and I mean, it's different. You can see leadership issues that we start to, to follow up and have meetings and talk to them. You can see workload issues here. We need to start, we, we go in and we look at scheduling. We talk to them. We sometimes it needs to be like that because it's, it's a tough situation. We can't, we can't staff up because the sales are too low during, during Mondays and Tuesdays. And, but I think good communications with them. And like you say, they feel we've seen it, we acted on it and we can actually say, explain to them why sometimes it needs to be like this. And, and sometimes we can do a changes and we can, we can take actions. But, but I think um, it can't just be there for show. It can't just be there for, so, so I can sit there and say, we have this. Um, mm. And we also see on the score, we are one of HR and operations most important KPIs are the winning temp score and the employer net promoter score, which comes from the same platform. So we see right away, every, every senior leadership meeting, board meeting, these things are presented. And if we are not active here, we're going down on, 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 on all these KPIs. So, so it, mm. it's, it's something that needs to be handled by their respective departments. Yeah, that's interesting how you combined it all in the reporting system all yeah. the way up to, to, the, to the top. What would be your top advice here in the end to, to other leaders out there that are on the pursuit to build a more people-centric business? Mean it. Don't, don't, don't just say it. I mean, you, you need to mean it. You need to want it to be a people first business. You need to actively work on it every day. And I mean, it, like you said, it's, it's, how are you going to keep it when you get even bigger? It's going to be harder and harder and you're going to need to work even more active as you grow and you're going to need more culture bearers and you're going to need more people caring, implementing the culture and, and communicating on the intravabs and everything. But. If you just put it there and say, okay, now we have it. Now we have, uh, now we have the culture aspect here. We have this uh, intranet and we, we're checking temperature. Check. Now we can go in and look at sales. It's not going to work. You need to mean it, I think, if you're going to truly keep it through, during scale or, or, I mean, the people, all our employers need to believe that we, that I care about them, that, that from the top, we care about they, their well-being. Um, and I don't think if you don't mean it, they're not going to believe it. Great, great, great. And so to that, Thanks. Simon, where can people find out more about you, Bastard Burgers, if they got inspired by something they really wanted to pick your brains on? How did they do that? I would say LinkedIn is the most safe way to go. Good. We'll put or the email. Email. We'll we'll yeah. put the link for to, to to LinkedIn on the in the show notes yeah. for people to find that. Perfect. Um, power and energy for, for the journey ahead. Simon, it sounds like there's some really exciting thing and it's really great that you are holding the banner high for making a more people-centric hospitality industry. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please give us a like, share it with anyone you think would benefit from it. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at Michael at Hospitality Mavericks or Christopher at Seek.io. 
Expansion through culture, the Scandi way, were brought to you by Seek, the social internet. Check them out at Seek.io or contact them directly at Christopher at Seek.io. Thank you for tuning in.